from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that shines a light on the overlooked moments of everyday history. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're looking at the origin of a holiday tradition in the U.S. Capitol, the lighting of the National Christmas Tree. The day was December 24th, 1923. President Calvin Coolidge pushed a button to light the first national Christmas tree of the United States. The ceremony was held at the Ellipse, a small park just south of the White House fence that's often used for public events involving presidents. Coolidge's involvement lent a sense of validity to the event, but the idea for a national tree didn't come from the White House. The initial proposal came from Lucretia Walker Hardy, the acting director of the Community Center Department for D.C. Public Schools. Hardy sent a letter to the White House in late November of 1923, proposing that a lighted Christmas tree be placed on the south lawn of the White House on Christmas Eve. She believed that the lighting of the tree could serve as a winter event of, quote, national character similar to that of the White House Easter egg roll that takes place each spring. First Lady Grace Coolidge liked the idea, but not the location. 
She had already committed to a caroling event on the North Lawn and didn't want to have dueling Christmas ceremonies on the White House grounds. Mrs. Coolidge suggested the tree be placed at the Ellipse instead. Hardy pushed back, saying that holding the event on the White House grounds would grant the celebration, quote, a national significance that it would not have otherwise. When the First Lady still wouldn't budge, Hardy backed down and accepted the ellipse. Perhaps as a compromise, the President agreed to participate in the event, thus lending it the national appeal that Hardy had hoped for. Notably, she wasn't alone in her desire to establish a national Christmas tree and to have the President light it, and not everyone's motives were altruistic. The dream was shared by the Society for Electrical Development in New York City. The group was very interested in the prospect of having the president show off the wonders of electricity on a national stage. They hoped it would spur a greater use of electricity throughout the country. It would also be a chance to demonstrate that electric Christmas lights could be made safe for outdoor use. Outdoor lights wouldn't be made widely available to the public until 1927, so the lighting ceremony in 1923 was something of a glimpse into the not-too-distant future of outdoor decorating. Several prominent members of the Society for Electrical Development attended the lighting that year, and at least one continued to serve on the event's organizing committee for years to come. That man... Frederick M. Fiker later took credit for the whole event. In 1932, he wrote a letter to his daughter Janet saying, quote, I thought of this idea of having the National Christmas Tree at Washington, which would stimulate other people to have outdoor Christmas trees. In order to get this started, we had to get the President of the United States to light the tree. If you get the President of the United States two years in succession to do a thing, he will always do it. In the end, the group raised $5,000, or nearly $75,000 today, to install underground lighting cables for the tree's bulbs, and the ceremony went on just as Fiker had planned. At 5 p.m. on that Christmas Eve, President Coolidge walked from the Oval Office to the Ellipse, then pushed a button and lit up a strand of 2,500 red, white, and green Christmas lights. The tree itself was a 48-foot-tall balsam fir, although some reports put the height at 60 feet. It had been donated for the event by Paul D. Moody, the president of Middlebury College in Vermont, which happened to be the president's home state. The tree had been shipped express from Vermont, and the branches on the lower 10 feet had been damaged during the journey. To help even things out, some branches were cut from a nearby evergreen and then tied to the balsam fir. The lighting was followed with performances by the Epiphany Church Choir and the U.S. Marine Band Quartet. More than 5,000 spectators gathered for the ceremony, and it should be noted that nearly all of them were white. At the time, the city's public facilities were racially segregated. As a result, black residents were only permitted on park grounds to see the national Christmas tree after the white residents had dispersed for the evening, which wasn't until just before midnight. 
This discrimination undermined the unifying spirit of a national Christmas tree, but African-American residents were still able to find meaning in the flawed symbol. Undaunted, they held an outdoor worship service early that Christmas morning, and a choir composed of singing groups from local community centers sang carols. The idea of a national Christmas tree was a hit with the public, so the ceremony was held again the following year. Although the tree's title was slightly altered to become the National Community Christmas Tree, Coolidge, whom the press had nicknamed Silent Cal, had refused to speak at the first lighting ceremony, but in 1924, he agreed to give the briefest of statements, saying, quote, I accept this tree, and I will now light it, which he did. Coolidge had almost scrapped the second year's ceremony because he didn't like the idea of cutting down a new tree every year. He changed his mind when it was suggested they could use a living tree instead. The event alternated between living trees and cut trees donated from different states from 1924 until 1973. From that point on, a living Christmas tree planted in the ellipse has been used for the celebration although the tree has been replaced from time to time due to fungal disease. Beginning in 1924, the lighting ceremony was held in various locations on and around the White House grounds. Finally, the ceremony returned to the ellipse for good in 1954, when the event was greatly expanded to include a whole assortment of Christmas trees. As times changed, the ceremony gradually became the inclusive event that it always should have been, welcoming visitors from all backgrounds without restriction. When Coolidge lit the first outdoor national Christmas tree, he kicked off a holiday tradition that's been followed by each succeeding president since 1923, just as Fiker had hoped. Through periods of unity and division, through good times and bad, the event has served as a yearly reminder to practice peace and goodwill. And, of course, to use lots and lots of electricity while you're at it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you enjoyed today's show, consider following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.